Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, Episode 4, Sexuality on Lost Girl, Part 1, No Slut-Shaming. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here today with my co-host, Annie, and we're very excited to have a guest with us today, Melanie Killingsworth. She is a writer and filmmaker based in Portland, Oregon. Some of the projects she has worked on include Hulu's original series, Battleground, the feature documentary, Street Pulse, VH1's reality show, Off Pitch, and her own noir film, The Lilith Necklace. She blogs about film and television, including Lost Girl. She is right now writing reviews of season one. At Mel's Bells, that's M-E-H-L-S-B-E-L-L-S, melsbells.wordpress.com. And you can follow her on Twitter, at Mel's Bells. Thank you for being with us here today, Melanie. Thank you for having me. Now, our topic of discussion today is how sexuality is portrayed on Lost Girl. So I'm going to start with a disclaimer, even though it might sound obvious. This podcast includes frank discussions of sexuality. Obviously, the content of Lost Girl is guiding our discussion, so it most likely will not be more explicit than the show itself. However, if you happen to be listening to this podcast around young children or sensitive adults, maybe, you might want to step into the other room. If you're, if you're at listening at work, you probably want to put on your headphones at this point. So what we're going to use today as a guideline to talk about how sexuality is portrayed on Lost Girl is an interview that Michelle Lovretta, who is the creator of the show, it's an interview that she did with The Water Cooler, which is an online journal for television studies. Melanie, could you explain quickly what a show creator does, more or less? Uh, a show creator usually is the person who comes up with the concept of the show and often uh, develops all of the kind of characters, the themes. Uh, there's a thing called a show bible which has all of the running arcs, ideas, backstories, everything in it, and they're usually the ones who have developed that from concept to air. So that's what Michelle Lavretta did. She developed the characters, she developed the world of the show, and in her process of developing this world, she came up with some rules that she thought the show should follow in regards to how it portrays sexuality. And she lists them in this interview that she did with The Water Cooler. She has five rules, and they are no slut-shaming. Bo is allowed to have sex outside of relationships. Rule two, Bo is capable of monogamy when desired. Rule three, both genders are to be adoringly objectified. Equal opportunity eye candy for the win. Rule four, sexual orientation is not discussed and never an issue. And rule five, Bo's male and female partners are equally viable. I will post a link to this interview in which she talks about these rules in the show notes over at drinksatthedoll.com. They will be in the show notes for episode four. Now, Michelle Lavretta admits in this interview that she is not 100% successful at following these rules all of the time, just due to the constraints of being in a television production, which moves very quickly. So I thought for this conversation, we would discuss these rules and how the show follows them and how maybe sometimes they don't follow them at, at points. I will be splitting the conversation that we had into two parts. The first part will be on slut-shaming, because we had a lot to say on that topic. And then the second part will cover the remaining four rules about sexuality more generally, and specifically sexual orientation. So looking at the first rule, no slut-shaming. Bo is allowed to have sex outside of relationships. And just so that everybody is on the same page, slut-shaming is making somebody, usually a woman, 
but men can be slut-shamed as well, so not always, feel ashamed about being or appearing sexual. It's worth noting that you can slut-shame someone without using the word slut, and calling someone a slut isn't always slut-shaming. I know that may sound confusing, but hopefully our discussion will clear up some of that confusion that you may have. Now, I wouldn't say that Bo is never slut-shamed. I can think of a couple of moments off the top of my head when someone does make a slut-shaming comment to Bo. Vex makes some remarks, and Lachlan calls Bo and her mother sluts when he's trying to, to goad her during their fight. But I think that almost all of the time, it's very clear that the people who make these comments or have this attitude are evil or, or ignorant in the case of Bo's mother and there's Bo Place Like Home. And The Morning After, which is episode 10 of season one, makes it very clear that slut-shaming is harmful. Definitely. It, it goes so far as to have characters who are slut-shamed commit suicide, uh, which is, first of all, for a network show to have women commit suicide, it's generally something that shows try to steer away from. And this is, uh, this is pretty brutal. They're obviously very depressed at the point where, where they end up taking their own lives. Uh, but I think the show does a really good job of, of pointing out that it is the circumstances that make them do it, and it is the people who have driven them to that point who should be held responsible. Um, so we, we witness women who have sex and... Not that it would make a difference, because it wouldn't, but none of these women are portrayed as especially promiscuous. They're simply women who happen to have sex and enjoy sex, who are then struck with this overwhelming feeling of shame and guilt, and they feel dirty, and they end up committing suicide in various ways. Uh, it turns out that it is a fae who... Uh, leads them to commit suicide, and he is the one who the blame is placed on for all of this, and he ends up being punished uh, for it. it. It's interesting. I actually, he he's an alabaster, or an alabaster, um, and he comes across as being almost priest-like. He has all of these discuss. He has all of these things where he says, "I'm above sexual." A pleasure. I am not interested in that. And it's not to say that people can't be off sexual, but he takes that as a point of pride that he is, you know, above sex, but then ends up being very much not. But so he's shaming all these women. He's projecting very much onto all of these women his own confusion and shame. And, and, and the fact that he's a man is what enables him to do this because he's in a position of power. And the way that society works is it shames women so much for wanting to be sexual creatures. And he just kind of takes that and magnifies it until they kill themselves. I think in this instance, because Bo ends up being a target as well, and the Alabaster targets her because, I forget the exact words that he uses, but he calls her persuasive touch, her tingly touch, I'm not sure quite what to call it. He calls it a cheap whore's trick or something like that. He uses very shaming language to describe her succubus abilities. So I think in this episode, you have a very clear instance uh, of Bo as a succubus standing in for women who unashamedly enjoy sex. And I think it's interesting that in this context, she's not the one who's punished. It's ultimately the guy who's shaming her who's punished. And that was very... I was expecting the show would go that route, but I was very glad to have this episode because when I first heard about the show, I thought, oh, a show about a woman who needs sex 
to survive, huh, that could go a couple of ways. So I'm very happy that it, it went a very sex positive route with it. I, I agree. And it, it manages to go sex positive while still pointing out that there are lines. For instance, Aoife, who is also a succubus, who also needs to have sex to survive, and that not, is not necessarily portrayed as bad. However, when she starts abusing it, when she is having sex with people against their will, and when she is literally killing people through it, okay, well, that's bad. Because enjoying sex, having lots of sex, nothing wrong with that. However, enjoying it at the uh, cost of somebody else, always bad. And so it really manages to, uh, with presenting a second succubus, which I think is kind of important, portray that there are ways to have lots of sex which are great and which are healthy, and there's no shame in that. But there is something else which is not that. Well, and you have to remember that um, uh, in an interview with Anna, she said in several interviews that was initially her impression of the show that she was like uh, a show about a sex pot preacher, you know, that I have to portray. And I don't know about this script. And, you know, init you know initially after she read the script, she then she found out it was this really positive, you know, kick-ass kind of character I remember hearing Anna mentioning that in an interview. I think she phrased it that when she saw the script, she thought, oh, what frat boy wrote this? Until she read it and, and discovered how uh, dimensional that Bo is and, and how well sex is portrayed on the show. Um, thankfully, the show does not have a frat boy touch to it generally. So so good good for the show for that. I think something else that's interesting that the morning after kind of touches upon is Christianity and sex. Like Melanie mentioned, the, the alabaster comes across as almost like a pastor or a priest. Even his wardrobe is very reminiscent of like an Episcopal priest with his, his gray suit. And Bo comes from a very conservative Christian upbringing. And I, I think that was intentional for Bo to have this background she grew up in that shamed her about who she was. And now she's in this new world that understands her and by or large doesn't shame her for who she is. I think it's important that Bo come from a fundamentalist Christian background. And I use the word fundamentalist on my blog a lot. And somebody has asked me why I chose that word in particular. And to me, I use that word to delineate between just kind of an average religion of any type and an, an extreme one who someone who would shun another person, including, you know, family member for deviating from theology. So we're talking fundamentalists, you know, Amish, Baptists, Catholic, Muslim, doesn't matter, like extreme fundamentalism. And they never state exactly what kind of religion that Bo does come from, but there's extremism in all of them. So I, I use the word fundamentalist just to kind of delineate that. And I think it's important that she does come from a background that is portrayed to be fairly strict. Uh, we see in There's Bo Place Like Home how uh, her family really did reject her. So it, it raises the stakes. She was raised not just to believe, okay, well, you know, sex is bad if you have it before marriage. But if you do, well, you know, okay, you can still come to Thanksgiving. And, you know, we might make a couple snide remarks, but whatever. In her background, it really means, like, you could lose your eternal soul and your family is going to have nothing to do with you and they're going to call you ho and they're going to just constantly guilt you. So there are a lot of stakes for her. And 
in society at large, which has progressed somewhat beyond that, there still is an issue with a woman who really likes and enjoys sex. I mean, we were talking about being slut-shamed. I mean, Bo's a woman. There's a huge double standard, both in society and in a lot of religions, about men who enjoy sex versus women who enjoy sex. So the stakes are already higher for her, just for being a woman. Uh, You know, guys, it's kind of wink, wink, nod, look the other way. And all the onus is placed on the woman for a wedding to be the virgin and to be pure and to be sweet and to have never really thought about sex. Uh, There are some religions who go so far as to say that if you like or enjoy sex, that you are dirty or you are a whore, even like within marriage. You're just kind of supposed to do it. You're supposed to have kids, but, you know, you're not supposed to enjoy it. So there's a lot of background here that I think the writers are drawing on to really make it important and to really make it to have been a huge decision for Bo to have run away and to kind of embrace the fact that she likes sex and she needs sex and she has sex and that's all without broaching the fact that she's also bisexual which is well first of all homosexuality in general would have definitely been rejected by whatever religion she was if they're rejecting her having sex with a boy before marriage they're definitely gonna reject homosexuality but as being bisexual now she's kind of in a no-man's land where society still doesn't necessarily accept this as a thing. So she's really kind of made this huge decision that places her at odds with her present and her past and her family. Oh, I will say, too, though, that homosexuality at odds with Christianity has kind of become the one unforgivable sin, if you will. Uh, Like a long time ago, well, divorce was really, really bad, and drinking was really, really bad, and all these things. But it's kind of progressed to the point where those things, they'll wink and nod and kind of let them slide. But the sex thing, and especially homosexuality, are still two really huge topics for the church. And so that's definitely not something that she thinks would be let go. I would agree with that. At least the conservative, fundamental Christian voices that we tend to hear in in public arenas, that is their big topic, so homosexuality and sexuality in particular. So I agree that would be a big taboo for Bo to break in regards to her upbringing. So another aspect of the show that has had a very sex-positive, no-slut-shaming approach to it is threesomes. Bo has had multiple threesomes on the show and has suffered no ill effects from either of them. She has had two of them, one in season one, which is between her and a couple she meets at the bar, Samir and Olivia. And in season two, she had a threesome with Ryan and Marissa, who was the blonde hostess at the restaurant where Bo and Ryan and Kenzie and Nate had a disastrous double date. Now, I know there are some really strong opinions about the Ryan threesome in particular and whether that was a successful portrayal of a threesome in a positive way. I think that it was not necessarily positive, but I think that all of the negative was supposed to be placed on Ryan. I think that the writers and the directors, Ryan is portrayed as a playboy, Ryan is portrayed as a guy who isn't very necessarily progressive. He too just likes sex, but he doesn't really think about it past that. He kind of uses women. Uh, He 
doesn't always have the most positive outlook. And so, yeah, he did something that was not horrible, but not great. Uh, I mean, Marissa was consensual. They, she obviously knew him from before. He invited her. She came of his own free will. There's nothing wrong in a threesome with, you know, if, if all the partners are, hey, maybe you should sit over there and watch for a while. Oh, okay. But that's, that's not how it played out because Ryan was, and the camera kind of reflects this, was very much objectifying the two of them. Now, at the end, when he waits for Bo to invite him, it does kind of seem like Bo is in control of all of this. However, the camera, the way that the camera gazes, is very, very voyeuristic. But the camera is supposed to be Ryan's gaze. And in a way, I like how it plays out because it starts, and the audience, I mean, is supposed to be, and I'm guessing most of them are, really into it. And then as it keeps going, you kind of realize what's happening, that it's just the two of them really voyeur, really much like that. And you realize that you have identified yourself with Ryan and with the male gaze and with all of the things that come along with it. And about the time you realize that, it kind of cuts to Ryan and he's standing there with his arms crossed, looking very pleased with himself. And so, yeah, I would say that it is supposed to be somewhat problematic, but I think we're supposed to associate most of those problems with Ryan and not necessarily, oh, the show is really just having a threesome so that we can watch two girls because that's what Ryan's doing. And he's not portrayed as a unilaterally positive character by any means. I know that some people have a problem with the threesome because they feel like Ryan didn't ask Bo and just sort of pushed this woman at her and expected her to have a threesome with him and, and Marissa. And I'm not saying that's a, a wrong or an incorrect interpretation, but personally, I feel like Ryan did some checking with Bo to see if she was interested in Marissa before he brought her over. It's it's not like it was some random woman that Bo had never seen before. And she seemed to kind of vibe on Marissa at the restaurant. And then when they when they got to the table, Ryan said to Bo, isn't she really beautiful? She's Faye just like us. So I think she, he was really checking to see that Bo was interested. And it wasn't just, oh, here's this woman. Let's have sex with her. And I think that Bo has enough control over her sexuality that if she didn't want to have sex with Ryan and Marissa, she would have just said so. Um, Bo does not seem coerced in any way to me in that scene. So I don't really have a problem with it on that level. And again, I'm not saying you're wrong if you do, but that doesn't trouble me personally. Now, what I do have a problem with is how M Ryan presents Marissa to Bo as a gift. Um, and we're jumping a bit ahead here to rule three about objectification, but... I feel uncomfortable hearing him say, oh, I got you a gift, and it's a person. That's where I get uncomfortable. Absolutely. If he had done that, if he had said, oh, I got you a gift, and Bo would have been like, that's gross. Don't do that. Okay, whatever. That's fine. But the fact that he said it's a gift and nobody repudiated that Marissa didn't seem to have a problem with being presented as a gift, Bo didn't seem to have a problem with him phrasing it like that, that is extremely problematic. And I think they... If they're not going to have someone respond to it, the line should have been cut. Because it, it plays with his character to have said that, but it does not play with Bo's character to be like, oh, all right. Unless you're going to go back to the original myth of the succubus where they were just having sex with people and they're sleep against their will, etc. And there, there is a little bit of a dark side to succubus uh, mythology, but... 
that's not how Bo is played. Right, because Ryan says to Bo, I wanted to get you a gift, and Bo responds and says, I believe, well, it's a good one. Even if Bo had said, well, she's really beautiful, or something like that, where she referred to Marissa with a, with a person pronoun instead of the, the it object pronoun, that would have made me feel a little better. But that whole exchange just makes me feel uncomfortable. She compliments Ryan for the gift rather than complimenting yeah. Marissa as a person. Exactly. Definitely. I, I don't have a problem with parts of the scene, but I really have a problem with other parts of the scene, and I think that's okay. And, I mean, not that I think the scenes are... I think it's okay that people can have problems with that. And I, I think that even some of what they were trying to do with Ryan is portray him as the bad guy gets lost mm-hmm. when they botch it with the gift aspect. That's, that's, it's sad to see a show with so much potential kind of blow it in that way. But I think you did make a good point earlier that Ryan is not supposed to be a particularly upstanding character. He, he leads Bo down, not a, not a dark path, but maybe a darker path. She gets to the point where she's lying to Kenzie about seeing him. So taken in that context, perhaps that was intentional with this scene. It, it's supposed to make Ryan look bad. It's supposed to make you feel a little uncomfortable. So we as the audience know that Bo is going down a path she maybe shouldn't go down. I just think they took it way too far when they did, like you said, the gift part, when they made Bo really complicit and complimented Ryan on it. Well, and I think um, going back to the first threesome, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a while since I've watched that episode, but that's where Bo is, like, actively hunting, you know, for the threesome. And, again, brings up the issue that she is bisexual, you know, and to... Um, show the viewers that, and again, I don't. This is where I'm kind of like, well, I wonder if the show is showing this scene just to, oh, hey, let's have a threesome. Which I was kind of a little. That was kind of my initial impression of it, and then Bo, like, literally jumps the couple at the end, the blue eyes and all. So it's definitely interesting to see that side of her. I love the way that her eyes flash mm-hmm. in that threesome because it's like she's there. There's two other engaging people. They uh, ended up, they approached her and it's like her going, oh, like I can, I can do this and everybody's cool with it. And I can just go hog wild. And like when she, when that look comes over her face, her eyes flash. And that's definitely a a moment of realization for her. And I, I really like the way that that, that plays. And that's in the fourth episode of the series. Like, it's like, all right, we're really going to go there. And she's yeah. really going to enjoy this. For me, that's like a perfect moment for Bo because Anna Silk has her hair down. It's not half up, half down like it usually is. And it's all loose and wild around her face. And she has this really free expression. Like, yeah, this is what being a succubus is supposed to be like. This is awesome. And I think that's a great moment for Bo. That moment when Bo's eyes flash, I, I see that a lot in fan art and just a lot of screen caps. So a lot of people like that moment as yeah. compared to the Ryan threesome. And yeah, I think it really took the show in the direction because it is so early on and it's the show itself saying, yes, we're going to go in this direction. And this is the kind of show we are because it is so sex positive. And it really does, again, mean it's all inclusive sex positive. And that's why so many people respond to it the way they do. 
My one last note about threesomes is if they have another one on the show, which if they do, great. But if they don't, that's fine, too. But if they do have another one, I hope they try a different gender configuration rather than two women and a man, because there are at least three other combinations out there. I I think it would be really rare to see, an, like, three males or three females. And I think that... Honestly, I would be really amused. They they make a lot of references. Dyson makes a lot of references to his past about his sexual past, like the Jane Austen. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what I said when I left England. I'd never do Jane Austen again. But what I thought would be really interesting would just be to have him make some offhand comment about, like, a giant wolf pack orgy. You know, yep. that's what happens when wolves don't have, you know, she wolves anyway wolves got a mate so yeah it's just that the one man and two women seems to be the most desirable configuration to market things to men that's what you see a lot in pornography and advertising and things so i wish that they would try a different configuration heck bow and two men would be great and the only reason i said what i said about not having an all one gendered is if you're going to have a big group sex you want to have something for everyone If you've got mixes, then everybody, gay, straight, has something to look at. Whereas if you have three guys, well, then all of the the straight dudes and the lesbians are going, eh, whatever. But I would love to see see Bo take on two or three guys. In fact, I thought that that's, I thought that was where it was actually going to go right before the dawning. I just thought there was going to be a giant, like, sex pile. But... It didn't happen. Something that I've really appreciated about how Bo's bisexuality has been portrayed is that Bo having sex with women is not equivalent to Bo being out of control the way that it is for a lot of bisexual characters on TV shows. Some examples of this I can think of off the top of my head are 13 on House and Marissa on the OC. Now, I will admit that I do not watch either of these shows. I've just read about these characters. So if I get something wrong, I apologize. Please let me know. In the case of 13, I believe when we first see her start to have sex with a lot of women, she has received some bad news about her diagnosis. She has Huntington's disease, and she learns that she has a very aggressive form of it, and that's when we see her kind of go off the deep end and start having one-night stands with a lot of women and kind of participating in some destructive behavior. As for Marissa, she had a longer-term relationship with a woman, but I think that she had, at the time, had broken up with her boyfriend, and she is also struggling with depression and alcohol abuse during this breakup. And the relationships that she has during the breakup from her boyfriend, including the relationship she has with a woman, these relationships are intended to really upset her mother and kind of get back at her. So both of these characters having sex with women is part of their spiral downward, and that's a pretty negative portrayal of people who are bisexual. So I'm glad that on Lost Girl, when Bo has sex with women, it doesn't mean that she's going out of control for some reason. I think they actually go out of their way a bit to avoid this trope. Most of her, like, I'm really, really need to feed, find me, take out sorts of feeds are male. And I think that... She does have, she has a female feed in the trailer park, I believe, near the beginning in the second or third episode. But for the most part, right up front, when she's just really desperate to feed or when Kenzie finds her somebody or when she's like in the limo, they're mostly male. And I think they do that to really present the idea that out of control doesn't necessarily equal, you know, a woman having sex with women. 
I think something else that the show does really well in regards to sexuality and not slut-shaming its female characters is that both male and female characters can be instigators of sexual encounters. I think a, a lot of the characters do both, but some of the characters are definitely written as more instigative than others. Uh, I really thought it was interesting that you've got uh, Kiara, who's this like fairy princess queen, and she's cute and blonde and petite, and she is almost without fail the sexual instigator. Bo and Lauren take turns. Bo and Dyson take turns. Lots of. I, I kind of wish we'd we'd see more Kenzie relationships because uh, she also takes turns. I think being the dominant one in her relationships. But uh, Kiara is just really, like, assertive. Like, this is what I want, and this is what I'm going to get, and you know you want it too, so let's just go for it. And uh, I, it really amused me uh, that they are going to pick that character, but I think that's awesome. That, that, it's that not- made me really like the character, that she was so aggressive, and she has that moment where she tells Dyson, you know, this may be the last night we're ever going to, you know be on earth so i want to spend it with you and i'm not taking no for an answer you know and then there's a little you know thing with a knife and when i saw that i was like whoa and so was dyson so well yeah with the knife and with the fact that kiara was on top during that whole uh encounter also comes the fact that it's not a man is always on top or even one specific character isn't always on top and that kind of gets tied to being dominant and being the sexual aggressor a little too much, I think. But either way, they're showing that people's personalities aren't necessarily tied to that. People within relationships don't always have to be tied to one or the other. And that men and women can both be tops or bottoms. And there's no shame or weirdness or anything with any of that, which I think is really cool. And I, I think the joke is is that, you know, Lauren takes the top a lot through Switch, but uh, some people might say sometimes she might be the quote-unquote more slightly submissive character because she's not Faye, she's not a sexual being like Bo is, but she'll take control in bed and she'll, you know, take the top and instigate sex. And it's good to show this different side of Dr. Lauren, you know, the after-hours Lauren, as Zoe puts it. I love that they portray Lauren as really passionate in bed with Bo because, like you said, she is often very passive, and I think she has to be to a certain extent because of her position with the Fae. But the way that she behaves with Bo shows that that's not all there is to Dr. Lauren. There's a very passionate, more aggressive side to her as well, and I'm glad that there's an outlet for that side of her to come out. I think that the the reversal is interesting, and I think that what they did with Dyson and Kiara is the same. So here's this guy who most of the time just gets what he wants from life by being the alpha male. And yet, in his relationship with Kiara, almost 100% of the time he's a bottom. Sometimes with Bo he is as well. And so you've got he and Lauren both proving that just because you're one way in your day job or in your day life or whatever doesn't mean that that is always what you are. And that it's, it's fluid and enjoyable. Well, I think with Lauren, it could be also just a sense of repression, too, because she has to hold it in so much for her survival, for being enslaved. And then she finds Bo coming into her life. You know, she says she doesn't believe she'd ever find somebody like Bo, who she is so attracted to, that could just set her free in this way. 
sexually as well. So that's uh, really refreshing to see. I think with Lauren, it might be one of the few ways she can express herself is through her sexuality with Bo. So before we move off of the slut-shaming topic, I need to bring up the kitsune in the season three finale. The kitsune were first introduced in the Kenzie scale, which is episode six of season three at the sorority house. And in the season finale, Bo brings them to the clubhouse to help her with Tamsin, who has been shot, but Bo can't heal her with her succubus abilities. So the kitsune are fighting with each other, and then they call each other sluts, and then they slap each other and they kiss. And then later, when Tamsin wakes up and sees the kitsune, she makes some comment about being in slut heaven. I was a little uncomfortable about how the word slut was used in that scene, and I know that other people were as well. I saw an exchange on Twitter between Emily Andrus, who who wrote the episode, with a fan who thought that the the kitsune had slut-shamed each other. But I know that not everybody interprets it that way. So what do you think about that scene, Melanie? I took it, when I first watched the scene, as entirely being Tamsin being self-deprecatory. And so she wakes up with these kitsune from the sorority house where she had lived with them for a while. At least that was what I got from their introduction backstory and is kind of making a joke both about them and about herself. But also the fact that obviously, A, she believes there's a slut heaven and B, that she's not being incredibly derogatory because she's speaking about herself and she has, you know, done lots of slutty things, had lots of sex. That was how I read it the first time that I saw it. So you read it that that Tamsin is talking about herself when she refers to Slut Heaven. She's calling herself a slut as well in that moment. Correct. I I interpret it as all three. Now, I I do understand how people could interpret it differently. And I also understand how even if people interpret it the same way as I do, they would still have a problem with the word slut. I do think that there is certainly a movement to reclaim the word slut. There's slut walks and there's different things, kind of like the word bitch has been reclaimed to some extent, and the show does use the word bitch, although interestingly, they have fairly exclusively female characters use it. Vex being the exception? Yes, Vex is the exception to pretty much every rule that comes up about this show. And I think he likes it that way, being, being the exception to every rule. He loves it. But Vex is also especially in season one, portrayed as not a positive character in any way, as opposed to Dyson and Hale, who even though they certainly have very negative personality traits, are still light fey, are still trying to grow, blah, blah, blah. But mostly it is women who use it. But back back to the word slut. The fact that Tamsin uses it, and Tamsin is A, dark fey, and B kind of this unknown entity who's very we see her we see her in season three literally mocking humans who are about to die and so she's got a dark edge to her and so i think that it is within character for somebody with an edge like that to use a word like that that doesn't necessarily excuse it you know people may still have a problem with it just because i don't have a problem with her using that word in that context does not make it okay. But yeah, personally, I didn't take it that way. Well, and part of the reason I think maybe it was hard for me to see her using it to refer to herself uh, when she when she talks about slut heaven, I didn't really interpret it as her including herself in that, though I can see where you would, where somebody could interpret it that way. But the reason it made it difficult for me to sort of see that as maybe using slut in a reclaimed way is that 
it's clear from the when we first meet the Kitsune that Tamsin isn't really very fond of them. You know, she one of them makes a comment that, oh, Tam Tam's our friend. And she kind of looks at him and is like, mm, no, no, I'm not. So she doesn't seem to have a very good opinion of the Kitsune. It could be that that's, you know, just Tamsin being Tamsin. But because I kind of came with it, came into the scene with that impression, it makes it difficult for me to see her using that word as being kind of a, a positive thing. And just kind of going back to what I mentioned up at the top, that you can you can call somebody a slut and not have it be slut-shaming. I think a good example of this, I don't know how many people have watched these, but there's a little series that I believe it's Second City does on YouTube called Sassy Gay Friend. And in Sassy Gay Friend, they take characters from either history or very old... Uh, pieces of fiction like Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet. Um, they did one with Adam and Eve. And they insert, you know, how things would have happened if the, this person, either, you know, Eve, Juliet, Henry VIII, somebody had had a sassy gay friend. And it's this character who is very clearly supposed to be a very stereotypical sassy gay male companion to the female lead. So they're they're using a stereotype, but I think they're also making fun of this stereotype at the same time. And he has the tendency to to call the women he's helping sluts. But the way that way that he usually does it is you had sex with them? You big slut, way to go. So you can use the word slut, I think, and have it be a positive way, saying you got laid, way to go, way to be sexy, way to have sex, good for you. But I just don't really see it in this context. And granted, Tamsin's not is, is not being as out there as sassy gay friend, but um, if it if it is being used in a more positive way in this context, it's more subtle and it's just more difficult to see. I think. Well, I wasn't necessarily saying that she was using it entirely positively. I was just saying that she was including herself. Mm -hmm. I think that she has a past with the Kitsune that she really wants to distance herself from but can't quite. And that's why she's that she's being self-deprecatory, uh, but that she is including herself. It's funny to her, but it's also kind of painful, and it's also this really weird place where that's what she was, but she doesn't want to be, but you can't change the fact that she was associated with them. I think there's a lot going on there. Also, possibly the fact that I just can psychoanalyze the shit out of just about everything. But I, I do think that she's associating herself with it. I don't necessarily think that even she thinks that that's a positive thing. Right, right. And I can see that. But since we had talked about using slut in a reclaimed way, I wanted to kind of give an example of how you can use slut in a reclaimed positive way. Well, and I think Tamsin is um, a character with that hides a lot of low self-esteem behind all her snarkiness. So mm -hmm. she can use that word slut towards herself, you know, whether she intends to include herself or not. Um, even unconsciously, she might not know that she's using that term towards herself. But uh, I remember reading an interview with Emily when somebody asked something randomly, you know, why does Tamsin live in her car? And Emily replied, well, she doesn't think she deserves those things of, like, just regular house, regular, you know, anything, because she's searching for something and obviously isn't getting it. But opposed to that scene, you know, at the beginning, I think when the Kitsune say it, they're just using it in a more playful way, but it's still not the most positive way to use the term slut. And, you know, when Tamsin uses it, I think she's directing it towards the Kitsune, but... Um, might not be entirely aware that she's using it towards herself um, because she just doesn't have a great track record when it comes to how she views herself. 
We posted a poll about this question on our website, and as of this recording, the majority of people who have voted have said no. Tamsin did not slut-shame the kitsune in this scene. 57% of voters say either just outright no, she didn't, or no, she didn't because she was including herself in that statement. But 57% to 43%, that's pretty much half of our listeners say no and half say yes. That poll is still available on our website if you would like to chime in. It is in the show notes for this episode, episode four. Sally emailed us her thoughts about sexuality on Lost Girl, including some thoughts about slut-shaming. She says, I appreciate how sexuality is portrayed in Lost Girl. I think the show is sex-positive, and I appreciate the vision of a world where sexuality and sexual expression are not sources of shame. I think that in current society in the USA, not to mention in many or most places around the world, this vision of a sex-positive society without shame is a long way away. Sexual violence is rampant, and most people have probably heard phrases like the walk of shame to denote a morning walk home in last night's clothes after a hookup or one-night stand. This is a common phrase even if everyone was consenting and had a good time. Thank you so much for sending in that feedback, Sally, and we would love to hear your feedback about the content of this episode, as well as get your suggestions about topics to cover in future episodes. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, episode four, which are available at drinksatthedoll.com. You can send us a voice message through your computer or your mobile device by clicking on the link at the bottom of the show notes. You can also email us at feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or call our listener voicemail line at 972 972- Five one four seven two two three. Thank you for joining us for Drinks of the Doll. Look for the second part of our conversation about sexuality next week. I'm Stephanie. And my name is Annie. And thank you so much for listening. Cheers. <laughs>